It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 1st of November. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Storm Kiron is due to make landfall in uh, the coming hours. Met Aaron has issued a number of rain and wind warnings covering most of uh, the country. Meanwhile, the cleanup continues in Carlingford, Omeath, Greenore and across North Louth, where, as you know, the people in that part of North Loud have taken a battering. Government says it is going to provide humanitarian assistance for householders affected who won't be able to make an insurance claim with payments ranging between 10 and €90,000. We'll hear from Dundalk where that may benefit listeners who've already had their homes flooded or are worried of being flooded in the coming hours. But first let's go to the Cooley Peninsula where the clean-up has been going on on all night. Anton Water, Sinn Féin councillor on the line. Good morning, Anton. Thanks for coming back to us uh, this morning. Uh, I take it people are exhausted at this stage. Morning, Michael. Yeah, um, look, yeah, everybody's exhausted. Um, people working again through the night to try and event, uh, prevent houses from flooding again. Um, I think the main thing that we take from all this is the community effort, Michael, and the work from neighbours and businesses and local workers who are even just working in the area uh, who have helped clean up as a result of the bad weather that we've had. So um, I, I know Trinity Close in Carningford one of the most uh, worst affected areas in Carningford and they had a digger deployed during the night to remove sand and gravel and grit that was blocking the drains and the fire brigade was there excuse me, for a number of hours as well, trying to stop the water from going into the houses. The residents were working together to try and stop it. So this is a mammoth effort, Michael, to try and keep uh, houses protected. But look, they didn't even get protected. They were only stopping them from getting flooded again because they got the brunt of it on Monday evening, uh, Tuesday, yesterday morning. So um, as you said, the clean-up is underway, but we still have a lot of places underwater. Um, a lot of uh, areas that the water hasn't receded yet. So there is um, works ongoing this morning. There is diggers out trying to clear some drains. And I've been on to the council this morning about trying to get 
drains cleaned and maybe try and get a jetter in like there's some parts really still bad like around Earl's Quarter there's a number of houses still underwater Grains Cross Rogan's Cross on the main road is very dangerous as well it's still underwater um, there's Belorgan Estates in Belorgan which are very bad with water as well all coming into their septic tank systems can't flush toilets so it's still going to be a long time Michael before we're back to normal if you would mm. call it normal yeah, you know yeah. Well uh, how concerned are people about what's coming down the line because we've uh, a couple of weather events ahead some very bad weather before the storm hits tonight yeah look lot look we're hoping it's going to tail um south with tail the south of the country but we don't know yet until it develops how it's going to go i know there's an ongoing effort there's been a lot of people in contact this morning who are preparing themselves with sandbags um, and I know the council staff are working, filling, I think it was 8,000 bags Bags came in to be filled with, and they're working away from this morning doing that. So there's a big effort go ongoing. But people are preparing again, Michael, for the worst. I just hope and pray it doesn't come as bad as it did because the, the water table is that high. There's nowhere for the water to go. So if it comes down on top of us, uh, if rain and more rain comes down on top of us again, we're in a bad, bad way. Mm. This is the real concern isn't it even if it's small amounts of water it's that it's coming onto already saturated land and areas that have been flooded already yeah and like the, the flow of water is still coming off the mountain like there's a big i got a video this morning from trinity Cloth, there's still so much water coming out off the mountain and that's all over the peninsula that's not just Carniford. that's glenmore that's ravensdale like there's so many areas that are still taking on so much water and you're trying to push the water on michael but you're pushing it on and it's just been met coming back to you because it has nowhere to go and that's the issue we have at the minute like as i said before there's areas flooding that never flooded before it's unprecedented but we don't like it's scary that it's becoming it's happening it's happened so regular now this is the second time it's happened in recent weeks and it's so scary for people because like at the end of the day it's all everyone's livelihood you work hard to get a house and you work hard to maintain it and then you see the damage that's done and damage the vehicles i seen one car yesterday and we seen nearly submerged there's other ones where the water was up to the steering wheel like it's it's very, very hard situation to come in and see people who have been affected so badly mm. by it. So we're waiting for the clean-up, Michael. We're, I know there's support there, um, hopefully for businesses as well. There is for homeowners, so lots of queries on that this morning. Lots of people who, like, there'll be a big list of people putting in to try and get some funding to help um, to deal with the cost of it because it's going to be significant cost to every property. Mm. Water goes every part of your house. It takes a long time for it to dry out. This is something that's not going to happen too quickly, and we're nearly on. We're after Halloween now. We're on the Mount of Christmas. It's a horrific time for people to have to start looking to get their houses back in order for Christmas. You know. Yeah. Well, the funding that's available will be available to people uh, to help meet them their costs, but it will depend on the income of the family. Having said that, it will apply to people who are not on social welfare. How that works out specifically, I'm not sure, but uh, there'll be between 50 and 90,000 euro for a couple, depending on their means and indeed uh, the damage to the house and if that damage was covered by insurance or, or not. You won't get paid for something that's covered by insurance. 30 to 50,000 euro for a single person and 10 to 15,000 per 
dependent child. But these are for householders. Uh, the government, uh, I think, is to meet tomorrow to talk uh, about assistance for businesses, uh, some of which uh, are really facing significant challenges. And we saw in Cork that could mean uh, assistance of up to €100,000. I, I take it people uh, in Cooley will be hoping that there'll be the same sort of aid for them when this decision is finally made. Without a doubt, Michael, and a lot of the businesses um, have no flood cover because of the nature of it, and that's very, very difficult. And like a hundred thousand, uh, as it was done in Middleton, is it's it's a lot of money, but like there's an awful lot of damage done to the pro- to the businesses throughout. Like I know Frankie McGrory in the Lumpers Bar, he got significant damage. There was other businesses the whole way around the peninsula into Carnyford, which are damaged, and they done great work to try and stop the water as best they could. I know a lot of them were out late with sandbags and trying to force the water past their business but unfortunately a lot of them couldn't do it and there is a lot of damage there and it's the same as the houses there's an awful lot of drying that needs to take place an awful lot of work done carpet saturated wooden floors to be lifted Um, I know a lot of them would have had um, food and other items that stock that they would have Mm. stock on hand and like these businesses aren't open people can't get in to to, to, um, get the services in these places so that's an issue too where there's loss of uh, income um, for um, you know for sales and all that that's another issue as well so we myself and Rory Amurku we have been working on and we have put reps in to the department and the government to try and see if we can get the details of this as quick as possible Michael because everything's up in the air at the minute until we get the nitty gritty and I know you're reading the the figures and all and we need to Mm. try and get this rolled out as quick as possible and hopefully there'll be a designated point of point of contact in the council where people can go. I know there's an 08 number there but we need a local contact as well so we can help as many people as possible because there will be a big effort in trying to get this done as quickly as possible as I say coming up to Christmas. So look there's a big job there's a big job of work ahead Michael and everyone's pushing the one way to try and help everybody so we just need to double the efforts now try and um, keep things right and get prepared for hopefully a small tail end of this storm but um, we just need to prepare so please God it won't be as bad mm. as um, they're saying or we could be in bad it could be worse off than we were yesterday yeah, and they say that the payments will be made uh, in three stages we'll give out that 08 number in a moment the first stage would be for things like food clothing personal items the second stage would be for white goods basic furniture items and other essential household items and the third stage is for longer term financial support like plastering dry lining relaying of floors electrical rewiring uh, and painting as a result of of the damage, all of which is quite possible for people listening to us uh, this morning. That 08 number that you mentioned is 0818607080. That's 0818607080, and we'll repeat that in a moment. Are people happy at this stage, do you think, Anton, by the response of the council? Because uh, it, it took everybody by surprise, I think, the extent of the flooding. Uh, the council, I'm sure, was. Uh, <laughs> caught on the hop like everyone else it's severe weather action team as you were telling us was meeting yesterday morning at half past eight was that soon enough were sandbags deployed quicker enough and could the damage uh, have been less if people had had the tools to stop the water coming into their premises well, I think, Michael, it, it was unprecedented uh, rain. Like, i never seen rain with it. And as I said, we've areas flooding that we've never seen before. Nearly every river in the peninsula has burst its bank. It's up over walls. It's knocking walls. It's onto roads. There was roads that were turned into a river 
um, I think I seen a video of the deer park and it was like r- rapids running down the deer park and um, we've never seen anything like it and um, look there's lots of work been done trying to clean drains and all but you could never have kept all the drains closed or uh, open sorry and I, I know myself I've seen first hand on call lads trying to get sandbags out on Monday evening and the amount of people that were calling to the bush yard to try and get them it was a very very difficult situation for everybody I know there's lots of people exhausted there's probably people who have been up for you know uh, 40 48 hours and, and that's a very hard thing to do as well but you have to commend the effort but look with everything we need more we still need more and um, more resources more mm. people i said during the emergency meeting yesterday that if it was coming to a stage where we needed to call in the defense forces which happened in cork do we need to get people these people in who are trained to deal with this to try and help the people who are in dire need and that's what was happening uh, michael like people are really were in a dire need yesterday to try and go and protect the properties protect all their, their personal belongings that were literally floating around in their houses um, so look it is a, a mammoth effort been mm. done but still a lot of work to do as well Michael so mm. look the, the volume of water Michael you call, I don't think you could um, with the best will in the world you can't control nature and that's what it was the volume of mm. water bringing serious debris like those rocks been brought down off the mountain onto the roads that were incredible you wouldn't lift them I don't know how they were doing it there was stuff been moved with water like the force of the water was incredible you know yeah. so we just need to see. Um, look, it's the it's the tail end of this. The the, the damage that's left behind. Um, mm. We still can't fully quantify that until we see how how today goes. Exactly. And I know yeah. it's expected tomorrow as well. So there'll be, there'll be a, enough rain to worry about. Uh, uh, how much of a concern uh, that should be, we'll only know uh, by living through it. Uh, but. Uh, what are we looking into in the future? Are people asking themselves that? As you say, people are hoping to clean up for Christmas. Uh, that's as a, a first step. But do people think this is climate change and that it has happened and it could be repeated? Yeah, look, there's no doubt. Like we We're talking about property, but with the damage to the roads as well, Michael, there'll be lots of areas that will be a no-go areas after this. Like I think of the Turf Road in Eden Tubber. I was on speaking to you a lot of times about it. It basically washed down. The whole tarmac washed off that onto another road in Eden Tubber. Like it's absolutely crazy. There's undermining of roads happening the whole way around the coast. There's bridges which are in serious need of repair. Like all this is money that... Calau County Council don't have so we need the government to step up and give us money to help deal with this and get the peninsula back open because that's going to be the problem after this even beside me in Earl's Quarter where there's a number of houses flooded the road's starting to lift the tarmac's coming up like all these things if you drive over it you could end up in a crater so all the undermining that's been happening throughout the last couple of days is a major issue as well that has to be quantified. And I know yesterday during the meeting we were saying about getting engineers out to look at it and look at all the damage. But you can't look at something when it's covered in water. So this is going to be in the weeks ahead where we're going to try and... I know we have a meeting of the council next week and we'll probably have a good idea as to what way we're standing next Tuesday. But um, as we move on, like, and you'll only start seeing things when the water disappears as well that we haven't even seen yet. So no doubt there'll be other issues with, with sewerage, with um, treatment plants and dwelling houses all massive, massive issues that are very costly for mm. people on the Mount of Christmas. I'm sure. And thank you uh, for relaying that to us, uh, given the busy night that you've had yourself. Uh, much appreciated, Anton. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Sinn Féin Councillor on Louth County Council. Anton Waters will be going to Dundalk Town next. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, Green Party Councillor Marianne Butler joins us. Uh, good morning once again to you, Marianne, and thank you indeed for coming back to us. Uh, we're going to talk about the situation in Dundalk. We're hearing that, if anything, it's worse than it was yesterday morning. Absolutely. I took a quick walk around this morning, the Red Burns Road, um, into Bay Estate, and yeah, there's definitely... Uh, no improvement, definitely a bit worse. Um, and again, like, there's no sign of the the, the flood waters going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and this week is midterm break to a certain extent. The the local school isn't opened. It's going to be opened again next Monday. And we need to put something in place that people can get about their day to day business. Um, you know, so like, mm. if it does not go down in the next couple of hours you know some mechanical way of removing this water is going to have to be have to have to be um, done yeah because it, it seems as though the water has nowhere to go worse as you say in the bay estate uh, and clunenda as well water partially flooding the saint alphonse's road uh, at this stage uh, and uh, i take it uh, that the reason it has nowhere to go is because of blocked drains uh, that's not what I'm hearing and that's not what we got from the, the update from the council yesterday evening around half six. Um, the, the line they were saying about Clunenda in particular was the, discharge, the, the, the discharge of surface water was checked during the course of the day and it was confirmed that the pumping station, the Coles Road, which serves this area is fully operating with the flooding issue emanating from the sheer volume of water uh, that now needs to clear through the system. The pumping of water separately is not an option that would assist the situation um, and no, thankfully no reports of flooding to those houses. But in my mind, I feel so, like I'm conscious that there's an awful lot of older people living in the likes of Clunenda in particular mm. and people with a variety of different circumstances and we need to be providing them with some kind of support and like I'm thinking about what we did in COVID times when we had the community response form, you know, if people needed to get to appointments, they were facilitated. If people needed um, medication, prescriptions delivered to them, you know, they were looked after and we need to look after these people because they're incredibly vulnerable. They can't leave their homes at the minute. Uh, A listener in touch telling us uh, they're in Bay Estate and they just got two sandbags yesterday from the council. Are, Are you hearing similar reports? Look, uh, like yesterday evening, we had that briefing at half four and I was pretty shocked, you know, that basically they, ra- they ran out of the bags for sandbags. If, um, and like my point at that meeting was, can we get in the car? Can we go to Mead? Can we go to Monaghan? Can we go to Cavan? Can we beg, borrow or steal and get what we need for people? Um, two sandbags isn't enough if the weather was, you know, we kind of got off a little bit lightly last night with the weather. If it had been another bad night, um, the situation would be very different this morning. So again, I think the council has to learn here. They have to have those stocks. We have to be prepared for these kinds kind of instances happening again. What about the vegetation in the river? There's a, a lot of weeds, visible weeds in the Rampart River. Uh, is anything done to, to clear them to give the river more space to take some of this water? Um, I'm not hearing that that was like, I suppose from the perspective of Dundalk, we're really used to having the tidal, the flooding from the sea. Um, like I lived in Key Street for a very long time and around the key area and, you know, it, it's, you know, a high tide and the waters would come in. And in one respect, that's kind of what we're pre- preparing for with the likes of sea frams. 
but we need to come up with a better way of dealing with this, you know, huge rainfall in on land that's already mm. really saturated. Okay, and uh, as I was discussing with Anton Waters a few moments ago, uh, we've a couple of weather events on the way, some squally showers on the way, and God knows how much rain will fall uh, in the town uh, at this stage. Uh, I suppose people are... are crossing their fingers that it's not a a lot of rain uh, because there will be some heavy showers uh, and then we have the storm Kieran coming later in the evening yeah and look at that thankfully i think the the forecast has improved for us that we're going to escape the worst of Kieran. but look we we need to be prepared for the next Kieran. um and you know thankfully we have those sandbags that have been delivered um this morning um, but we we need to get that help to people as soon as we can. And we have to learn from what happened today and get better at this and get get better at supporting people um, in, however we can. Mm. And what about the sandbag situation now? Was that resolved? Did they get the bags? I, so I'm going by the update that we received yesterday evening. I haven't seen a further update this right. morning, but they were saying that, yes, they'd have 8,000 8, sandbags were going to be delivered um, this morning. So I, 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 I haven't heard otherwise, so I'm glad that they are in place. OK, well, uh, we'll obviously keep people up to speed best we can uh, and we'll make contact with uh, the council for any further updates uh, throughout uh, the morning, indeed, throughout the day on LMFM. Marianne, thank you very much indeed for joining us as well this morning. Marianne Butler, Green Party councillor on Louth County Council. Now, just to repeat that uh, phone number, uh, if uh, you've been flooded and you'd like uh, to... Uh, apply for the funding that's available through the Community Welfare Service. It's 0818 60 70 80. That's 0818 60 70 80. A uh, couple of comments coming to us. Well done, Councillor Waters, says Martin, who wonders if the army could not be utilised to assist in the clear-up. Eric Cuthbert says the population of Ireland and Scotland should seriously consider relocating to the Southern Hemisphere, where the weather is good all year round far too much dampness here one good day and ten bad ones uh, another text uh, from Brendan Moore who says uh, that the cause of the flooding in Dundalk and North Louth rests clearly he says uh, with the management of Louth County Council why do we pay property tax when our housing estates are not being cleaned by the council nor gullies are, are they're not being cleaned either stop sponsoring silly events Louth County Council and invest the money to pay a private contractor to sweep the streets of the county all year round not periodically or four times a year keep the gullies there which would uh, help alleviate uh, the flooding Uh, the years of bad management in the council he says is uh, the flood uh, that we're seeing today or the result of it is uh, the flood that we're seeing uh, in parts of Dundalk and North Loud thank you Brendan Moore for sharing your thoughts with us our phone number is 0419832000 you can text or whatsapp us on 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to the thorny issue of retiring and qualifying for the state pension or how long will you have to work until you will be entitled to a pension? New laws will allow people to defer retiring until they are 70. In return, they'll receive a higher pension than someone who opts to retire at 66. The legislation governing this change has been scrutinised by the Oireachtas Committee 
on social protection. The committee is recommending a number of changes. One of those changes is that instead of retiring at 70 in return for a higher pension, people should have the option of retiring at 75 for an even higher pension. Let's speak to the chair of the Social Protection Committee, that's Independent TD, Dennis Nocton, who, who joins us now. And good morning to you, Dennis Nocton. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Maybe you can explain the logic of this to us. You no, know, at the moment, the legislation states that someone uh, must retire at 65 and they cannot continue to pay PRSI beyond their 65th birthday. Now, the government is bringing forward legislation in this area. It's one of the recommendations from the Pension Commission uh, that people could defer drawing their pension on the 66th birthday and that they could continue to pay PRSI up to their 70th birthday and as a result of that get an enhanced pension. Now, the real benefit for this are mainly people with very mixed PRSI records. The minimum amount that people can get in a contributory pension at the moment is €106, where the maximum rate is 265 So if someone hasn't got the full 40 years PRSI contributions on their 66th birthday, it would make financial sense for them if they're physically able to continue to work too continue to pay PRSI and get a much higher pension when they do uh, retire and draw their pension. Now, the government is extending that flexibility for four years, and the committee feels that with the increase in life expectancy, with the reality is that more and more people now are um, in employment, which isn't uh, physically intensive, that they would be able to work beyond their 70th birthday even on a part-time basis. And if someone earns a minimum of €38 euro a week, they can pay PRSI, and that that flexibility should be extended to their 75th birthday rather than just 70. You wouldn't be concerned that people would push themselves uh, to work uh, up to 75? Not at all. I think, look, the reality is that if people have a full entitlement to their pension on their 66th birthday, they will draw that pension down. Uh, but the reality also is that we should outlaw the practice that people are forced to retire uh, at 66, which is the case uh, at the moment. And we want to see a more flexible approach that allows people, if they so wish, to continue to work beyond their 66th birthday, either on a full-time or a part-time basis, and that they are acknowledged for doing that. And that is important for society as a whole. There are huge health benefits uh, in relation to that for older people, particularly in relation to mental health issues. But it also meets a growing need in our economy where we're now at full employment. And what we need to be doing is looking not just at older people, but women who are underemployed and people with disabilities who have a, a very poor possibility of being employed at the moment and getting them actively into the workforce or increasing the number of hours they're working in the workforce in the long term reduces our overall pension liability. But in order uh, to get that higher pension at 75, you'd have to forego nine years of pension payments. How long would it take to make it worthwhile? Well, I think anyone that is in has their 40 years PRSI contributions paid 
on their 66th birthday, I don't think it would benefit them uh, to continue to work to their 75th birthday from a financial point of view. However, there are thousands of people out there, mainly women, who have very mixed PRSI records, who on their 66th birthday might only be entitled to a pension as small as €106 a week. And for them to be able to continue to work uh, earn a minimum of 38 euro pay contribution, maybe their 72nd or 78th birthday, would make a dramatic difference in terms of the pension that they would ultimately draw down. And they're the type of people that we're targeting in relation to this. Okay, and you're also recommending how pensions would be calculated uh, for people uh, who cared for other people, uh, whether that's children in the home or somebody else. Yeah, look, the, the main focus of the committee is on people who don't have their full 40 years stamps paid when they reach their 66th birthday. And this primarily uh, are people that have been in a caring role uh, throughout their life. Carers, foster parents and stay-at-home payments, parents, and they end up with reduced pensions and retirement. And what we're trying to do is address anomalies within the system that would ensure that they can, insofar as possible, get the best possible pension that they can. One of those provisions, and this is being brought forward by government on the recommendation of the Pension Commission, is that there would be an acknowledgement for long-term carers that they would be able to draw down a full pension on retirement. And these are people that have been caring for a loved one for more than uh, 20 years. There is provision already for those that are caring up to 20 years, and this is now going to be extended to people who are in a long-term caring role, usually in relation to uh, a child with a, a disability it's usually the people that fall under this category. We're also, as a committee, recommending that this should be extended to foster parents as well uh, who are in this role for a long period of time. And we're also uh, looking that the home caring credit, this is the credit that's available uh, for someone that remains at home rearing a child up to their 12th uh, birthday. Uh, We're saying that that should be available for all children up to the 12th birthday. So, for example, if there's more than an eight-year gap between the birth of the oldest and youngest child, then that stay-at-home parent does not get the full benefit of that credit at the moment. And we're saying that that needs to be addressed also. Uh, And changes for people in agriculture and farming? Yes, we're making a number of recommendations here. One of this is is in relation to the farm assist and the, the fisher's assist scheme. At the moment, people that are in receipt of that do not get credit towards their, their state pension on retirement. However, if they were on job seekers allowance, they would get that credit. And it's an anomaly within the social welfare system that we need believe needs to be addressed. There's an also another anomaly which affects farming families where uh, maybe the farm has been in the name usually uh, of the husband, uh, the wife has been working on the farm throughout her life, but hasn't been making PRSI contributions uh, towards their retirement. Now, there was flexibility a number of years ago where they could backdate those payments uh, to uh, social welfare. And we're saying that that flexibility needs to be reintroduced into the system again because there are quite a number uh, of um, farm women 
who are being excluded from the system as a result of that presently. Okay. Uh, just going back to the issue of retiring at 70 or 75, as uh, the case may be, that's only if you're able to do it. Uh, 66 will be uh, plenty old for a, a lot of people, but you also want a, a new scheme to be put in place for people who can't work uh, as long as that, who have to retire sooner than they reach 66. Yes, so the, the, the committee has recommended in a previous report uh, that, you know, where someone is in labour-intensive uh, employment, uh, where there's heavy lifting involved, construction industry, maybe someone involved in housekeeping or uh, as a full-time carer uh, in either the uh, hotel trade or uh, in uh, home health, that they should be able to retire uh, on their 60th birthday uh, and draw down their pension at that stage because many of them, it's not going to be physically possible for them uh, to continue to work to their 66th birthday. And we need to introduce flexibility in relation to that. And a lot of those people have been working since their teenage years, have already made a full 40 years uh, PRSI contributions. And where that is the case, that flexibility should be made available to them. All right. And for people who feel that they can work until they're 75, as you say, there's a, a lot of benefits for them if that's what they decide to do. But what about their employers? If their employers don't agree that they have the ability to continue working uh, so late in their lives, will that cause problems? Well, look, I think there are a number of issues uh, in this area. First of all, the committee has already made a previous recommendation that the, the current practice where people are forced to retire uh, at 66 uh, should be uh, outlawed uh, as a practice. And this has been a strong recommendation from the committee that this needs to be dealt with. In terms of of people over their 66th birthday, um, you know, there are a number of issues here, one of which is that if you have someone in a very senior role uh, within a company, it uh, prohibits the opportunity for younger people to take over significant uh, management roles and experience within a company. And what we're saying is that in senior management roles, that these should only be appointed on a contract basis for, let's say, seven years, which is the same in the public service uh, at the Mm -hmm. moment, so that it allows a person maybe to step back from a frontline role and take on an additional or another role within the company, providing a huge level of advice and experience to whoever the new leadership is within the organisation. And I think we need to take a far more flexible and a different, a new approach to how we accommodate older people uh, in the workforce for those that want to work and are willing to continue to work. And this should be only on a voluntary basis. Okay, but was there the potential for the unintended consequence of that extinguishing what could have been a vacant position because that person will continue to work for that company? And could this unintentionally result in discriminating against younger people getting jobs uh, altogether? Yeah, no, and that is probably the the one criticism against uh, lifting uh, the restriction on people being forced to retire at 66. And that's why we're saying that, you know, uh, in terms of of senior positions within an organisation, that they should be done on a contract basis 
of seven years, like is the case in the public service, so that we don't have people for very long periods of time at the head of an organisation or in very significant Mm. management roles within an organisation. And that's the way to overcome that. So it does allow new blood to come up through the system, but it also allows people with a huge amount of experience to help continue to contribute to that organisation and the likelihood is on a part-time basis rather than a full-time basis. Okay, and, and just to conclude, do you think many people would want to work until they're 75? Uh, I know you say there's benefits to it, but a lot of people plan for their retirement and they've great plans and look forward to that quality time, if you like, that they may be able to spend with uh, their families. Uh, is that not of, of interest to some people or how many people would you believe uh, would like to work so long? Well, I think the vast majority of people will retire at 66. Uh, They pay their PRSI. Uh, They probably have a private pension as well. uh, And it makes financial sense for them to retire at 66. But we're finding that an awful lot more older people are doing other part-time work or doing voluntary work after the 66th birthday because they are very fit and able uh, and things have changed dramatically over the last number of years. Uh, And that flexibility has been built into the system now where people can work on a part-time basis up to their 70th birthday and still pay PRSI. And this will really benefit uh, women who do not have a full pension. But what we're doing in relation to this committee uh, report and recommendation is we're looking into the future. And if you look at it today, there are many, many young people that are only going into the workforce now, you know, at 26, 27 years of age, uh, maybe have a checkered uh, history throughout their, their their employment life in terms of paying PRSI are sadly going to be paying mortgages maybe up to their, their 65th birthday and allowing them the flexibility to continue in work and to continue to pay towards their PRSI and pension, uh, you know, in the... 2060s and 2070s is uh, the proper thing to do and that flexibility needs to be built into the system now and that's what we're trying to do. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed, Independent TD Dennis Nocton, who's Chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Social Protection. Michael Reed on LMFM. Thanks uh, to anybody who's been in touch with us uh, so far today. A couple of calls. One of them from Mary who says, isn't it great to see the way people have rallied around to help each other over the last couple of days with everything that's been going on. There's a real sense of community spirit uh, among all of the devastation. Uh, Something that Mary says is lovely to see. Tommy uh, in touch too about the flooding saying, if the drainage systems around the county were cleaned and cleared out on a regular basis, then we might have a, a better chance of avoiding flooding like this when the bad weather hits. What's that old saying? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail, says Tommy. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, and uh, to Mary as well for your call to the programme. Our telephone number 041-983-2000. That's 041-983-2000 if you want to ring us to make comment the this morning, uh, we'd um, uh, WhatsApp message uh, with comparisons uh, of electricity prices uh, across the EU. The average, uh, according uh, to Euronews, on a screenshot that somebody has um, sent to us, is uh, 28.9 cent. Uh, uh, unit for the first half of 23, Ireland at 24. 
0.8. But uh, our caller says they're being charged 44.51 cent uh, per kilowatt uh, in the daytime, nighttime 23.39. I'm wondering what is the big difference or why is there such a, a big difference in what we are paying? Not too sure that I, I can answer that question, but uh, thanks indeed for bringing it to our attention. Deirdre and Kells saying that if you get to the age of 66, you should be getting a, a check from the president <laughs> thanks indeed uh, for that Deirdre I take it that's to do with the idea of retiring at 75 or 70 or 66 as some may opt to not sure uh, if uh, many people would be interested in volunteering to work until they're 75 but undoubtedly some people would as we've been hearing uh, now we a lot of people in touch with us yesterday uh, time ran out and I'll bring you some of uh, those comments now Kathleen was in touch with us because we were talking about the buses in County Meath and how so many buses are being cancelled and you just can't rely on the service and bus air just cannot deliver a reliable service Kathleen says it's just as bad in Drogheda. Uh, the town bus that runs to Moneymore has gone beyond a joke. You just can't depend on it. it. It doesn't run for a few days and then it might run for a few hours. No explanation. Yet the Ballsgrove bus is on all of the time. A lot of people depend on the service, especially elderly people, to bring their shopping home. It's €8 Euro for a taxi and you can't ring the bus depot because they never answer the phone. Thanks uh, for that, uh, Kathleen. Paddy in Terman Fecken was in touch with us uh, about the buses, but not just the buses. He says the buses, the HSC, the Gardaí, etc. And he could go on, obviously. Why are all of our institutions being run into the ground? I I don't have an answer, but there has to be a national or international agenda. Uh, He says, I hate to use that word, uh, but thanks indeed, uh, Paddy, for sharing your thoughts with us. Margaret in touch with us about buses as well, saying, do you know of any bus errand service that goes directly to Houston Station? Tell Eamon Ryan to get his climate change in order and get the basics right. A good transport system that works and on time. Thanks, Margaret. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, you can get the train to Connolly, can you not? And get uh, the dart down to Houston. Um, but maybe that doesn't work for Margaret. Um, we spoke yesterday then as well about dogs out of control or not under control as they should be, whether that's on a lead or the owner making sure that the dog doesn't run up to say hello to you or to bite you or whatever the case may be on a beach. Uh, we were talking to Stephen McKee about that yesterday, local Fianna Fáil councillor, uh, and uh, his motion, uh, which, if implemented, would mean that uh, there'd be a crackdown on dogs on beaches in County Meath by Meath County Council. Deirdre and Kells in touch about that, saying all of these dogs should be on a, a lead uh, and she's frightened of dogs uh, because she got a, a terrible bite of a, a dog at one time. Um, we'd uh, another caller about that, saying it's more than the beaches uh, that need to be monitored. Walking down footpaths, no lead, no muzzle and no control if the dog decides to attack. Look what happened in Waterford at the weekend. Two women attacked by their pit bull in their own home. Fear of a dog is horrific, says uh, a listener. Thank you indeed. Uh, we had some calls about 
uh, the Middle East. Uh, we'll be talking to Francis Black in a, a short while about uh, the ongoing situation in uh, the Middle East and uh, the horrifying situation in Gaza. Uh, a text uh, from Mag Y uh, who said, Hamas are not Palestinian. They're paid for by Iran. Thanks for that. Uh, going back uh, to the dogs, uh, Mick and Kells said, where are all these new dog wardens uh, that we were promised? Uh, councils uh, are, are taking on uh, no good bringing in, it's no good than bringing in laws uh, if they're not being enforced. What's the point? Uh, yeah, we were promised an awful lot of, of extra dog wardens and that undoubtedly would help to enforce the law. Mick, uh, we must look into that. Uh, thanks indeed for bringing that to our attention. John, in trim about the buses. Is there anybody who's satisfied that they have a reliable bus service? And when I say reliable, that when the bus is to be there at 29 minutes past... It's there at 29 minutes past. It doesn't leave at 28 minutes past. It doesn't leave at 30 minutes past. 29 minutes past. Because that's the level of reliability I I think that you would expect in most European countries. Here, uh, it's a very different story. They come too early. They come too late. Sometimes they don't come at all. Uh, Sometimes uh, they're cancelled for the whole day, as we've been hearing. John and Trim says the Dublin Trim bus let people young and old off the bus about a half a mile outside of the town. Now they're going to move another stop out of the town to make way for a new building. Shocking to see people walking in the cold and the rain or old people looking for a taxi. I've asked local councillors for years, but nothing has been done about the problem and it's very easily solved. Thanks, uh, John, for that. Uh, maybe we'll bring that to the attention of Bus Aaron uh, that uh, you'd like to see a bus stop in Trim. Uh, and uh, just on the subject of uh, the weather, uh, we'd Jerry in Clongill, Wilkinstown, uh, expressing sympathy for the farmers. He says, with all of this rain, I feel so sorry for our local spudmen and cereal growers. I'm sure a lot of people uh, would uh, agree with that. Thank you indeed, uh, Jerry, and thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us. If you'd like to make comment on the programme today, as I mentioned a moment ago, you can ring us on 0419832000, but you can also send a text message, whether you text it, SMS it, or WhatsApp it to us. The number is the same. It's 0861800658. That's 0861800658. And you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the housing charity Threshold has published its impact report for the third quarter of this year. This relates, in other words, to July through to September. And quite shockingly, they say that of the 9,000 plus calls that they received, 5,318 people are at risk of losing their homes. Let's speak uh, to John Mark McCafferty, who's uh, the CEO of Threshold uh, and on the line. A very good morning to you, John Mark, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. That uh, would seem a remarkable figure in itself. Uh, Does it take you by surprise? Good morning, Michael. It doesn't really take a surprise, surprise, unfortunately, because um, uh, right now we are... uh, dealing with and assisting uh, with uh, renters across the country who are 
um, faced with um, notices of termination, worried about losing their home. And this is the third consecutive quarter in which um, tenancy terminations were you know, by far the, the, the largest kind of issue. Um, and in fact, you know, um, tenancy terminations um, amount to kind of a 38% increase on that quarter, July, September, compared to um, the same quarter last year. So this has been growing. Uh, the number of um, tenancies um, ending has been growing. Um, landlords leaving uh, the sector or selling the property um, has been an issue, as we know, for well over the past year um, and, and longer. Um, so, and also, it's, it's key to what we do. Um, we prevent homelessness, um, and we have a tenancy protection service. And you know that's because of the the rise in tenancy terminations over the last eight uh, years. Back about eight years ago, it was around um, rents going up and, and uh, renters not being able to afford the the, the, the big hikes in, in rents at, at the time. Now it's more about um, landlords ending the tenancies, predominantly due to uh, the landlords selling the property. And mm. um, we can't save every tenancy, but we can, eat, at the very least, try and ensure that um, tenants have um, access to the notice periods that they need in order to try to find alternative accommodation in a very limited market. Okay, but that's 5,318 households that have uh, been served uh, a termination notice there on notice that they will have to move out in a month or two months or six months, as the case may be? Well, it's a mixture. Some of them are directly, you know, you have a notice of termination, you, you have to move out by X date. Some of the issues, some of the uh, the issues are where um, the rent has gone up so much that the, the households um, won't be able to afford um, the the rent and will be kind of economically evicted, if you like. Mm. Um, so th- there's a range of issues in which uh, would, would, would push your tenancy to being at risk. And Some that's, of them are that's despite the rent pressure would. zones, John Mark, is it? That's despite the rent pressure zones, yeah. So mm. um, sometimes you know, it might be a, a, a flouting of the rent pressure zones in those areas. And then, of course, it could be where um, the rent goes up by a, a very, very large share outside of the rent pressure zones because there, there isn't that um, that break on, on on the rent increases as, as you would have in the rent pressure zones. Mm. So it's a variety of issues. Also, you know, the landlord-tenant relationship may have break, broken down so so much that the um, the a tenancy is at, at high risk of, of, of ending. Okay. Uh, that's obviously very worrying in itself, uh, but where people uh, have not uh, the fear of being evicted or not being able to afford their rent, uh, there's a, a lot of problems with the standard of accommodation. You've been hearing from a, a lot of people who've made so many complaints uh, and such various complaints uh, that you're now proposing that there be an NCT-style inspection for housing that is for rent? Yeah, so we, we've seen um, a, an increase, a peak um, in between July and September this year in queries related to standards of accommodation. So issues related to, say, mould, dampness, broken heating systems, um, you know, inadequate ventilation, poor insulation, uh, the expenses associated with heating uh, people's homes. All of these things have, have increased. Now, they came to the fore during COVID when um, more renters were uh, working from home 
and where landlords couldn't get into to houses because of restrictions to you know to to um, maintain those homes. Um, but I think it's important to say that you know there are uh, legal standards that tenants can expect in their home. There are rights in relation to this. So, for example. You know, the interior and exterior of a, of a home must be properly maintained and in a proper state of structural repair. The toilet and the shower facilities have to be in good working order, safe, properly insulated. There needs to be proper heating facilities, adequate ventilation, um, facilities to store rubbish, um, and then adequate gas, oil or electricity in, um, installation. So there are standards in rental accommodation um, and what we were calling for in relation to um, this NCT is that you know that landlords um, show that they have adhered to the existing laws. Mm. And I guess the, the reason we're, we're um, making this uh, point is that um, you know the standards uh, are the are the failure to meet the standards um, can cause or exacerbate both physical and mental health problems for people in homes where they, they have, say, damp, mould, um, inadequate he- heating systems or ventilation, like all of these things mm. do have an impact on people's health, both physically and mentally, and that's why it's really important that you know um, we look at the issue of standards and we have a discussion about them. Okay, and why are the standards as low uh, as they are in some circumstances? I'm sure there's an awful lot of fine accommodation for rent, uh, but don't the county councils inspect properties if they're being rented uh, by tenants who are in receipt of HAP? Yeah, well, firstly, there's a lot of high-quality rental accommodation. There's there's an increase in high-quality rental accommodation in recent years, but there remains um, a stubbornly um, high proportion of uh, poorer quality um, accommodation. The local authorities do have a key role, um, they have um, inspections. They have an inspection system. The, the challenge there is that um, uh, there's very, very different approaches across local authorities, and where a property does fail, um, the redress or the kind of the follow-up from that um, can be very, very weak. Um, now, a tenant can, um, you know, report uh, standards to the local authority. Um, and they, they obviously um, can talk to their, their, their landlord, but they may have uh, fear of um, some kind of uh, reaction from the landlord, especially given the fact that um, there's so little um, property available, alternative property available, and and tenancy terminations are on the rise. Um, disputes, I mean, if the relationship does break down and the, and the physical standards issues persist, uh, a tenant can take a, uh, a case to the Residential Tenancies Board, um, if there's a clear failure to, to meet those standards. Um, but we, we're very aware that uh, many tenants don't want to take that upon themselves mm. at a time when you know so many tenancies are ending. Okay, uh, but that uh, applies only to tenants in receipt of HAP, does it? Uh, can tenants who oh, aren't sorry, on yeah. HAP uh, complain to the council? Oh, this, this um, is available to everyone regardless of, of HAP now. It, with HAP, there's a particular additional um, measure that um, if there's a property and it's being let on the basis of someone being a HAP recipient, then there needs to be an inspection within, I think, it's six months um, of the tenancy uh, commencing. So mm. that's an additional measure for um, tenancies that are HAP tenancies. Okay, but um, otherwise you have to be proactive yourself and complain you have about to be the proactive. conditions. Yeah. 
Yeah, or, or I mean, the local authority does, um, in, local authorities do inspect um, houses. They, they often go for, I, I suppose, the lowest hanging fruit. Um, but there's still a small, in any given year, they're, they're a very small share of the overall um, rented housing mm. market. Um, and at the very least, an overhaul of that existing local authority inspection, inspection systems is required. Mm. Um, we get a report every year from the National Oversight and Audit Committee about um, standards and, and, I guess, um, properties that, that fail those standards. But we need something a lot more consistent and a lot more proactive and, and, and better resourced okay. in order to, to really tackle the issue of standards. Uh, am, am I right in thinking that those standards don't uh, apply to council housing? Um, it's a different framework. Now, um, the standards um, really should apply to council housing. And, you know, at least in the private rented sector, a tenant has it has redress through the Residential Tenancies Board. But if you're a tenant of a local authority um, social housing unit, um, who do you go to complain about your physical standards? Um, it's your landlord. Your landlord is the local authority. They're the ones who are, in, who are, the, who are tasked with inspection. So um, I think you, theoretically you could go to the, the local authority as inspector, but um, they're also your landlord, so there's a conflict of interest there. Um, and there is a need to have a, a really good look at um, an alternative uh, system for local authority tenancies and local authority tenants and for them to come under um, some kind of common system, maybe with the, the with private rented tenants in terms of, being able to take um, cases because we've heard there's been a number of cases where um, local authority tenants have had to go all the way to to, to Europe in order to kind of uh, fight for the rights in relation to standards in their you know, apartment complexes and that kind of thing. And it really shouldn't have to go to that level. There should be, mm. um, you know, at the kind of country level, um, one place to go to 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 address um, grievances where they where they come where they relate to um, standards yeah. and, and that should include local authority housing um, mm. and the local authority is not well placed to be both kind of the inspector and the landlord um, it, there's a clear con- conflict of interest there. and I, I think some people would argue that it's almost hypocritical uh, that uh, councils are enforcing high standards on private property uh, and standing over low standards on property that they're renting out to people would you agree with that? I, I think there, there's a clear uh, conflict of interest for, for local authorities here that um, at one level they are the, they are the inspector for, for rented housing, um, particularly the private rented sector. Um, and at the same time, um, there, there can be dwellings in the local authority system that fall short of, of, those, of those standards. Um, there is just clearly a need for another kind of system, another kind of mechanism by which all renters, whether private renters um, or social renters, can can appeal, you know, whether that's the residential tenancies board, or 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 some other kind of ombudsman, um, you know, the the housing associations or the approved housing bodies. If a, a tenant has an issue with um, standards, physical standards in those um, houses or apartments, again, they can go through the residential tenancies board. Um, but if you're a, a local authority tenant, you simply you simply can't. Um, and that needs to be that needs to be addressed. And um, you know, hopefully, this discussion around standards uh, might might spark something in in, in relation to um, 
a change somewhere sometime down the line in relation to how uh, local authority tenants, um, what kind of redress um, that they might be able to have access to. Okay, well, if people want free and confidential advice, it's available through threshold.ie or free phone 1-800-454-454. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. John Mark McCafferty, the CEO of Threshold. Let me just bring you some more of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Quite a a number of people in touch with us about buses. Uh, Somebody saying that uh, the Money More bus service is laughable. It goes down as far as Diffie and doesn't go down into St. Lawrence's Drive or Park, uh, Lee Brega, is it, or Hawthorne Crescent. There's not even a bus shelter outside of Diffie where you have to stand in all kinds of weather waiting on a bus that might not arrive. The reason given why it won't go into these estates is that bus errand drivers are unable to turn the bus around, bearing in mind that the school bus can do it four times a day. There's lots of elderly people living on these estates and could do with a proper bus service. Uh, Another text uh, from somebody who says they waited outside of the matter yesterday for two hours on a bus. Two hours waiting for a bus called bus errand and was told a bus would be there in 15 minutes an hour later still nothing that makes a, a total of three hours doesn't it my god uh margaret becker in touch saying michael uh, your gas and your right conley in the dark doesn't work for me since i, I live in meath it would be a bus to lewis houston nothing direct or straightforward in this country Thank you for getting back to us, Margaret, with that. Uh, as you probably know at this stage, we'd love to hear from you. And our telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, no matter how much we read about Gaza, no matter how many pictures we see or watch on television, I don't think it's possible to really understand what life must be like for people in Gaza. Gaza at the moment. If you consider, for example, that in normal times, before the war, 400 trucks would have uh, delivered aid into Gaza on a daily basis. That's down to 14 trucks uh, a day now on average. 170 trucks over the course of the last three weeks compared, as I say, to 400 a day before this war. Since the assault on Gaza... 8,525 people are said to be dead. That includes 3,542 children. 6,300 children are injured injured, and 940 children are missing. Let's speak uh, to Independent Senator Francis Black. Uh, A very good morning to you, Francis Black. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. It's frightening, it's heartbreaking uh, in equal amounts to see what's going on in Gaza at the moment. Uh, But there is a a ray of light uh, for some people hoping to leave Gaza today. Uh, They're talking about uh, letting wounded dual passport holders out and then 500 dual passport holders out on a, a daily basis. I'm sure that's something that you welcome. Yes, of course. Um, but it, it doesn't, I suppose, it doesn't help in the sense of the devastation that's happening 
to the people of Gaza and the people who are left behind. And when you when you talk about those numbers, eight thousand six hundred, you know, Palestinians and you know, three thousand over three thousand five hundred children, it, it, it's it's shocking to think that the number of children that are killed in Gaza in, in recent weeks has surpassed the annual number of children killed across the world's conflict zones since 2019. And, you know, I mean, Israeli bombing is, is levelling entire Gaza, Gaza neighbourhoods, mosques, ambulances and the Islamic University have all been targeted. It's absolutely horrific. But, of course, we do welcome that some Irish citizens will be getting out, that they will be allowing some people out of Gaza. I have a situation at the moment where um, an Irish citizen, um, he's in Gaza at the moment with his wife and two children. The two children, they're only babies, they're Irish citizens as well, but unfortunately his wife isn't. So what do you do in that situation? Now, I will say that the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Department of Justice are doing everything in their power to get that family out, um, but they may not be let out. I mean, it, you know, the family, the husband is not going to leave without his wife if she's not allowed out. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's 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 doomsday. It's it's just doomsday for the people of Gaza. It's horrific. Yeah. It's yeah, absolutely horrific. There's no apologies from the Israelis. They say there'll be no let up, there'll be no ceasefire, there'll be no pause until Hamas Absolutely. is annihilated. Uh, if yeah. Israel is successful in annihilating Hamas, what does that mean, do you think, for the civilian population? I mean, like, where where does, where does it end? At the moment, I mean, look, soon we'll see that Gaza has, the power shortages are gone, um, you know, we'll see, we see all the food, the water, electricity cut off to Gaza, it really is a violation of its responsibilities to protect and provide for the population of the territory it, you know, it occupies. Gaza can't produce their own infrastructure because they've been subject you know, to a blockade since 2006. And we, Israel has destroyed important pieces of in, infrastructure in previous assaults. They're forcibly displacing of civilians in northern Gaza and bombing them as they flee and shelter into the south. It's just absolutely horrific. And then, and then when you look at what's happening also in the West Bank, you have over a hundred Palestinians killed in the West Bank, and the increase in illegal Israeli settler violence in the West Bank in recent weeks has just, you know, really become horrific for the people of of, of the West Bank. Mm. Israeli, like illegal Israeli settlers who are receiving protection and support from the army and have been given even more guns by the government are trying to use this crisis to force more Palestinians out of their homes and steal their land. I mean, it's beyond, it's beyond belief, to be honest with you, you know, and my, my concern is that, you know, the European Union, who are supposedly a peace-building institution, can't even bring itself to call for an end to the slaughter can't even call for a ceasefire, and, mm. uh, which is absolutely obscene. It did, call, it did call for pauses, but that doesn't go far enough as far as you're not, concerned. It's not enough. Mm. And, and you know what I'm going to say, Michael? It doesn't represent me, and I, I don't think it represents the people of Ireland who oppose racism and colonialism and war, and we need to forge our own response to this crisis. Mm. And, you know, and that's, that's the reality here. And I think... 
I mean, I, I, I despair. I'm getting phone calls all of the time from people all over the country saying, what is going on? And obviously people are, you know, asking me about the, the Occupy Territories bill um, all the time. And, you know, it would be a perfect opportunity to do something pr- proper, you know, um, to pass so something like the Occupy T- Territory bill, because we need to hold up international law and we need to reflect the Irish people's support for the people of pa- for the people of Palestine. And just and remind us, believe- just remind us uh, about your legislation. Uh, this would ban the importation of goods from the Israeli occupied territories. Yeah, it's about it, it's a it's a bill that was brought in, that I I brought into back in two thousand and in twenty eighteen, and it's designed to ban trade with illegal settlements. So if adopted in Ireland and elsewhere, it could make the illegal occupation increasingly costly and untimely, you know, economically and diplomatically unviable. So so the government is blocking the bill and it's doing so on two grounds. Firstly, it says it has legal advice and says the bill is in, incompatible with the EU law. And, and this is not true because many academic experts and lawyers um, European, well-known European law experts yeah. have told us that it is possible to do it. The government can often use the, the confidential legal advice provided by the Attorney General as an excuse not to do things mm. that the public wants to do. The government also claims the bill would be unhelpful because it would undermine their efforts to work with other EU member states to bring them to a more sensible position. Um, but as we can, you know, as we can see from the, the hugely what I would call biased anti-Palestinian, anti-ceasefire language coming out of the EU and and many member states, the government's strategy, I think, is a complete failure. Mm. And I think the government needs to, I think the government needs to to act to uphold international law and to reflect the Irish people's support for the people of Palestine. And I think the way to do this is pass the Occupied Territories Bill and it would be a message to the entire world that Ireland takes Mm. human rights and international law Seriously, as a and tangible I really way, genuinely believe if we act on this, other countries will follow. They're looking for to to be guided on this. Uh, as know? a tangible way of saying, we find what you're doing in Gaza unacceptable, yeah. uh, despite exactly. what was unacceptable on October seventh, uh, yeah. uh, and. Uh, this was a, a great uh, idea, uh, I think Fianna Fáil would have said, when they were in opposition, they supported your bill. Now in government... Yeah, as, as did the Green Party, and unfortunately mm, then when they got into power. Um, and it was in manifestos, if I remember rightly, Fianna Fáil had it in their manifesto and the Green Party had it in their manifesto. And unfortunately, um, when they got into power, that all changed. So, yeah, mm. it was very disappointing, mm. Michael, as you well remember. It was just really, really devastating. And and look, the Irish people, I can't believe the support the Irish people have for the Palestinian people, you know. And, like, everybody is contacting our office because they know, I suppose, I, how passionate I am on this issue. Um, you know, when you when you look at what happened, to, what, what has been happening to the Palestinian, particularly in Gaza, you know, I mean, people describe it as an open-air prison, but it's actually even worse than that. It's like a concentration camp because, you know, in prison you get food, you get water, you know, you don't have your electricity cut off, do you know? Mm. Um, and that's been going on for, for years now. And then the, the bombing that happens 
every, you know, two years. They call it mowing the lawn. It's time to mow the lawn, and seemingly that's the term that's used for it. God. So, yeah. like, mm. I just, I just, I despair, to be honest with you, Michael, and mm. I would, I suppose I would call on the Irish people to write to their local representatives and, and you know, to, for the Irish government to do more to do more, maybe pass the Occupied Territories Bill, you know, um, and to use all political and diplomatic tools available to put pressure on Israel to end their appalling actions in Gaza, you know? Yeah, there's little hope though, isn't there? I mean, realistically, even if Ireland was to take a stand, and perhaps you're right, the reason Ireland isn't taking uh, this stand that you're suggesting is because of concern about relations with Germany uh, and indeed uh, most other European countries, it would seem, at this stage, uh, and most Western countries uh, at this stage, uh, and Israel with the the support of the Western world intent. Yeah, but the people, I mean, you see the marches. You saw half a million people in London last week. Like, the the people are seeing the reality. This is a political, you know, this is all politics. You know, they're not, they don't seem to take into consideration that, you know, so so many children, families are dying on a daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, and the, but the people are saying, no, this is not right. We saw last week in Central Station where um, Jew, Jewish Voice for Peace took over Central Station and, and had T-shirts saying, not in my name. So these are all Jewish people who are saying, You're not, you, this is not in my name. Mm-hmm. So the people are saying, this is wrong, you know. And yet, uh, you know, the, 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 the America and Europe, they're not listening. This is, uh, so this is what really, really, uh, I suppose, amazes me and shocks me. And it's just the disbelief is unbelievable, okay. you know. And you're asking people to get proactive, contact uh, their local politicians and ask them to take a, a stronger position uh, in terms take of... Take a stronger you know, rep- position and I think by passing the Occupied Territories Bill would be a message, as I say, to the entire world that take, that Ireland takes human rights and international law because Israel are breaking international law like a million fold, you know, all the time. And okay. no, but the international community are stand by and do nothing about it. And we can take a stand. All right. Listen, pleasure as always to talk to you. And thank you for joining us on the programme today. That's independent. You're very welcome, Thank you indeed. Independent Senator Francis Black. Let me bring you some more of the comments coming to us. Quite a, a few people in touch with us about the flooding situation. Paddy Indrada saying it's only a matter of time until what we're seeing in Dundalk and Carlingford uh, happens in Drogheda and the surrounding areas due to the poor maintenance of the drainage system in the town. Paddy says you could grow flowers in some of the drains given that there is so much muck and soil in them. Regular upkeep is the only way to avoid these issues. Sean agrees with the earlier comment about it being nice to witness the sense of community spirit that this flooding has brought about. Everyone is usually so busy rushing around and working all hours that they don't get a chance to make real connections in the community. Issues like flooding though devastating in many ways help cement community connections and that can be a good thing for the future thanks Sean for your call as well Caroline says it's very difficult for all business owners in the area who are affected by the flooding those with premises in low lying areas will be affected for years to come because of insurance implications she hopes they'll be able to find a way 
to stay open and to rebuild. Mary in touch with us too and thanks Mary for your call. She says it's a disgrace that the government is not insisting that local authorities are out regularly throughout the year clearing out the riverbeds and making sure to keep them clear to avoid such flooding as we've witnessed in recent days. These essential maintenance works need to be done on a regular basis. Kind of a, a consensus coming through the calls there and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us so far today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Uh, uh, another text from somebody who enjoys fireworks and says as much as I like watching them around the town, is it too much to ask people to gather the waste up after? Lots of parks and uh, green spaces, I'm sure, with rubbish lying everywhere today. Thanks indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else in touch about buses saying the D4 and D5 in Drogheda do not show up regularly and my aunt relies on those buses but you can't rely on them because they don't come all of the time. Why is it so difficult to provide a bus service? Somebody else says the Moneymore bus service uh, I beg your pardon that's the one I read earlier on Um, I've uh, another text here though from somebody uh, this is Tom uh, in touch about uh, Francis Black and he says the right word was just used there by Francis Black slaughter Israel is one step away from Hitler. One uh, step away, he says. They're only short of gas chambers. And the world doesn't seem to care. Thanks uh, for your message, uh, Tom. Uh, another text about uh, the situation in Gaza from Noel McCormick who says the Irish government should expel the Israeli diplomats. Francis Black is fighting the Palestinian cause uh, a long time and Ireland should take a stand and boycott the Israeli imports. Well, uh, thank you indeed, Noel, for that. Uh, we'll go to Carlingford now and speak to Sharon McGuigan, who's on the line from the Carlingford Arms. Good morning, Sharon. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us. I'm sure you're exhausted at, at this stage. Uh, it's been a dreadful 24 hours. Uh, what's the situation at the moment? Well, Michael, I'm just after driving into Carlingford there now. We had organised for our cleaners and everybody to come in this morning, but the rain has got really heavy. Again, the tide is um, is coming in, so we're sort of in a no-win situation. We're just going to let it settle now for a couple of hours before we start cleaning to see what's happening. Right. We definitely won't be open today. It's not looking good for tomorrow. Um, the only good news we have is that the minister's coming to Carling for today, and he's going to meet up with us and give us advice on um, filling out this forms for the um, scheme. Mm. Okay. Uh, I don't think that uh, it's been agreed yet for businesses uh, to qualify for the scheme. It's expected that the government will agree that you'll come under a similar scheme to that in Middleton uh, with funding uh, available up to 100,000. I I take it that's uh, what you'd be hoping to hear from government, from the minister today. Well, that's what we're hoping for, yes. But our local councillor, Anton Waters, has confirmed that if you're not insured that the government will definitely give us something, will give us some help, which we, is what we need. Mm. Because there's a lot of businesses not insured, like myself. And impossible to get insurance because of uh, the flood 27 years ago, was it? 27 years ago we had a flood, but nothing like what we had on Monday night. Mm. 
Uh, and uh, will remedial works not be necessary for it to, you to open? Do you think that you'll be able to clean up and reopen? Well, it just depends what today is going to be like. Like, you know what I mean? If this storm comes, as they say, um, we we just it's out of our hand. We don't know. Mm. We did cancel the cleaners and everything this morning that we had gone in. It just definitely won't be happening today. Okay. And it's not looking good for tomorrow. The only thing is, we have a busy weekend ahead of us. If we get open for Saturday or Sunday, it's a blessing for us. But we're not, um, we're not guaranteeing. If we have our bookings all on hold, and people have understood it a lot, you know what I mean? Mm, mm. I'm sure those who've uh, a booking with you will be hoping that you'll be open uh, as well. It'll have all sorts of consequences. What's come into uh, the pub at this stage? It's not just water, is it? It's water, it's sewage, it's gravel, it's muck. From the mountain, and obviously that will remain behind after the water uh, flows out. That will remain behind, yes. And it's the smell um, in the building. It's just like it's a smell as well as mm. everything. It's just not making yeah. um, clean water or. Well, that's it. The smell, the smell of the dirt, and then the damp. And uh, if it's the damp. It's their fridges had all be switched off for um, security reasons and for health and safety. Mm. So our fridges, like we were after having a busy weekend, we had a busy Halloween week. This would have been a great week, all the kids and everything off from school, visitors in to see all the decorations. It just didn't happen. No, water and electricity don't go very well together. Uh, and I'm sure there was a, a, a significant cost in that. Uh, would you be able to restock if you're able to open uh, for the weekend? Oh, well, we would be able to restock. Our suppliers are all local and they're very good to us and they rang us. You know, we've had that many phone calls from locals and from our suppliers to see what help they can give us with cleaning up. And hmm. So, so, so you, you've already got uh, concerns uh, following uh, the showers, heavy showers this morning that came on top of the water there uh, and the storm. Uh, we're expected to miss the worst of it, but uh, I take it you're still concerned about Storm Kieran then later tonight. Yes, we are very uh, worried about more rain, and because the drains just can't take it. Mm. That's no. our problem. The drains just can't take it. And is that because the drains are blocked? It's just that when there's a high tide, there's heavy rainfall. The Sleafy Mountain just opened up Monday night. It's just an act of God. The, mm. the the water had nowhere to go, so it just has to come in as, as whatever it can get in. Mm. And it must have liked us well because we got plenty of it. Mm. Yeah, uh, exhausting, heartbreaking though. Uh, apart from anything else, Sharon. Heartbreaking. Like we had new carpet down about four months ago. Heartbreaking to see it to see the muck coming in, the rain, it is very heartbreaking to see it. Mm. Like, I'm here 30 years, and 27 years I was here when it happened. But it was overnight, so we didn't actually see it. We could actually see it coming in. We couldn't mm. do anything about it. We had as many sandbags as possible, and it just didn't stop it. Okay, look, fingers crossed for you. Everybody uh, is rooting for you, and hopefully uh, you'll uh, avoid uh, the worst of what's going to drop on the country tonight. Thanks, Sharon, for talking to us uh, this morning. Okay, no problem. Thank, Thank you. you indeed. Sharon McGuigan of uh, the Carlingford Arms. That's our programme for today. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie.